everybody. It's good to have you here tonight. It's 6.54 p.m. on the 24th of January, 2023. And uh, tonight I am going to be doing a little bit of a short show with you, but I promise it'll be good. And I think it'll set the, set the tone for some other conversations we can have later on this week with, with other guests like uh, Jay Dyer, who will be back on Thursday night. But for tonight, we have the other Jay, Jay Meyer, Jay Myers. Um, so it's going to be so great to have Jay back on the show tonight because I haven't seen him in a long time. It's been a long time that Jay Myers of Jay Myers Documentaries has been uh, out and about. He was deplatformed, censored on YouTube in 2021. He has done such great work, really just great late night viewing. I, I really enjoy so much of what he's done. And we're going to play his stuff on the network a lot more, including tonight after the show. So why is Jay coming back? Well, I had to try to drag him out of retirement. And here he is tonight with quite frankly on this this late January evening and what we're going to do is just have a light discussion about Stanley Kubrick's intentions with Eyes Wide Shut and what the movie was really about and this is all inspired by that day on Twitter last week when some writer from from Variety magazine put out a article that described among other films Eyes Wide Shut as a mishap by an otherwise prolific writer and director. And if you know me and my friends and conversations we've had over the years, the last thing I would ever categorize Eyes Wide Shut as is a mishap. Obviously, you can have suggestive, we can we can be subjective about taste in how, how, how the pacing of a movie is or whatever the hell else, um, or action apparent action I should say we'll get into all that in a little bit but as far as mishaps goes we're going to talk about just what is inside the film how it relates to today and uh, and another thing that sets this movie apart from all of the other pieces of cinema that variety put into this list of mistakes there's one major thing that sets it all apart and we'll get to that in just a second. First, I want to thank my sponsor, SecretNatureCBD.com. It would be, a, this is one hell of a night to pack, uh, pack some glass and have yourself a fun time with Secret Nature CBD, just relaxing, giving yourself a little bit of a staycation on the back porch, the front porch, or uh, if it's okay to smoke inside, you do your thing. Or a little bit of tincture before you go to bed or anything else. Like I said, Secret Nature CBD, so high in CBD, so low in THC that you're, you don't have to worry about getting, dragging your ass around the house or anywhere else. It's just, it's a nice part of what I believe is a, uh, a complete, ho completely holistic medicine cabinet. So enjoy yourself. It's a health food, ladies and gentlemen. SecretNatureCBD.com. Use promo code FRANKLY for 20% off. There's so many great products. It's taken over 20 years of completely organic cannabis cultivation to get to where they are now. And I love I love their marketing. I actually have a new a new uh, pack in here just for whenever the hell the, the mood strikes. This is the Papaya Nights Sativas. They're right in there. The pre-rolls. That's the Papaya Nights. You ever have a night with a papaya? Gotta watch out. You remember, they, they tested the papaya uh, for COVID in 2020. You remember that? In Ghana? 
and it came back positive. Didn't they kill that guy? Isn't that guy dead now? That went and tested the papaya fruit, the bird, and like the, the monkey or something like that. Three different things. One of them wasn't even an animal. And they all came back positive for COVID. Yeah. Did a lot of sweeping up over the last couple of years. But there's a little papaya nights and there's no COVID risk. So welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. And I'm so happy to be kicking this one off in the beginning because we have a couple of things I think is is worthy. Another conspiracy theory. We got to talk about another conspiracy theory. And as just like the all the other ones, it's bonkers. It's just completely bizarre and bonkers, these conspiracy theories. That one, and, and this one has a little hint of cloning involved with it now, too. That's, of course, the whole Damar Hamlin thing. Now, I don't know. I don't, I'm not claiming that, that he was cloned. He's, he put out a tweet. He put out a, a tweet, when was it, today or yesterday? Yesterday. All he said was clone. And there he is, completely covered up, outside of a uh, a brick wall depiction of his image and likeness. And, and that got a lot of people thinking, oh my gosh, it's proof positive, which obviously it's not. But I will tell you this. I'll, well, I'll read this to you, and then we'll, we'll just go along, okay? Damar Hamlin, this is from the New York Post. Damar Hamlin responds as body double conspiracy theory emerges on Twitter. Damar Hamlin seemingly responded to an absurd speculation about its return to Highmark Stadium for the Bills' divisional round matchup with the Bengals on Sunday. The Bills' safety received a warm welcome from the fans during the rematch with Cincinnati, which came 20 days after their Week 17 game was postponed and eventually canceled after Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest supposedly twice, which from everyone I've talked to said puts that commotio cordis thing into uh, grave doubt. Hamlin, who watched the game from a private suite in, uh, with his family, is being subjected to bizarre, bizarre rumors. Can't we just get back to normal? That it wasn't actually him at the game, although the Bills and CBS broadcast showed him at the stadium. Uh, listen, objectively speaking, CBS and the Bills broad showed someone at the stadium. Someone. He was covered. It, it was like watching Kevin Bacon in The Invisible Man. It, I, I mean, uh, Michael Jackson covered himself up less, and he's not showing up in a hazmat suit. This wasn't, you know, medical grade face masks or anything like that. He was completely. Uh, it, it was. It was uh, a turtleneck or something up to his nose. From there, is these thick rim glasses, a hood coming on down. You, I have not seen any evidence. To confirm that it actually was him. It's just the only evidence we have is everybody saying, it's him. And he's there completely. I mean, you, 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 I, I don't even know here. I'll show you some stuff. Hamlin, who watched the game from a private suite on Monday, the 24-year-old Hamlin took to Twitter to share a photo of himself standing alongside a mural of him in Bill's uniform with his hands in a heart-shaped gesture. Clone, gesture. He clone, he wrote in a tweet, adding a ninja emoji. Now, you see this right there? This, that right there, holding up his hands through a veil of heavily falling snow 
and then behind the plate glass of the executive box that he was watching the game in. That is what we at home, the viewers at home, got to see. So through the, the veil of snow, the shine of the plate glass, there is a hooded figure with a blacked out face. It is, that's just what it was. And they were like, oh, that's, that, there he is. And he was, I guess he was put on, the, on the, the big screen. Everybody went nuts. Here he is showing up. Here is the Buffalo Bills tweeted this out. Here's a video of him showing up. Where the hell are we at here? Here he is showing up in a golf cart. You'd think that you'd get a little bit better view of him here. Watch this. Looks like DeMar Hamlin is in the building. Yes, if they show him in the stadium in any capacity, it will blow the doors off of this place. DeMar Hamlin just showed up, and it looks like his mom and... That was it. That was all you got. That's all you got. You got the tip. You got the very tip of a uh, of a hood. If he shows up in any capacity, this place is going to go nuts. So, yeah, I guess they got him in some capacity. It was a hooded figure that we all have to just believe was in. Now, here he is again. So glad you were here. This is from inside the executive box. Here, and DeMar stood up, right? Yeah, he did. This is it right here. What a scene. So we get the clapping from the side. His face is also half covered. You can see his nose from the profile there, but still the hood is on. They're in the executive box, and then it switches to the CBS uh, shot from the field, through the snow, through the glass again. stood up, right? Yeah, he did. This is it right here. There what you go. Scene. Oh. That's his, that's his sign. It's a sign of what? I don't know. Is it... So you... that's it. That's all you get. Now, I'm not saying he's he's dead, he's been cloned, he's been replaced, whatever. All I'm saying is there is actually no actual evidence he was at the game. Okay? If you had to bring this to court from what we have seen, there is room for reasonable doubt and you, you wouldn't be able to convict. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So, uh, moving on from there, Bill Gates is at it again. We were just talking about this last night, about whether or not who, who won, who won the, the, uh, the COVID argument, one argument or another. I got to be careful because we're still doing uh, nightly activity over here on YouTube. So I just got to do my thing and afterwards, if it's too spicy, I'll delete it. Remember the full archive of this show can always be found on Rumble and or BitChute. And, and SoundCloud, all of the audio podcasts going back to 2015 and before 2015, you just, you don't have access to those. That's all. But um, last night we were talking because we had, we had um, Scott Adams take center stage of the show and about, he said, oh, well, the, the people who were not for the shots and the mandates, whatever, you seem to have won. You know what the conversation went from there. It wasn't a contest. And, of course, we got to that whole idea of the Scooby-Doo moment. Are we ever going to have that moment, that vindication, that global vindication where suddenly when the, when the, the killer is unmasked and they say, you, damn it, it's a big admission, 
and we get to ride off into the sunset like heroes. Not going to happen. I said, because the next thing is going to be ready to go. There's not going to be any, any time. There's never going to be any time for I told you so. I, I mean, we can now definitively, definitively say I told you so about Russia. There were some people that will still believe it. There are other people that will say, oh, move on already. Just like the JFK assassination. Oh, move on. That was 50 years ago. They know how to make you spin your wheels in mud for 50 years. And then they say, would you let it go? So what I'm getting to is what's the next thing? Well, that big fucking dork, that uh, homicidal dork, Bill Gates, warns Australia to prepare for the next pandemic which could be man-made, what, what, would that be different from what we, (laughs) that would be different from what we just experienced? And far more brutal than COVID. We know they've been, they have been promising us that the big one, that is a trademark, the big one, TM, the big one was coming ever since mid to late 2020. They've been promising us that one, whatever the big one is. Bill Gates warned Australia to prepare for pandemic. Tech billionaires said next one could be man-made, which is a uh, which is gaslighting in itself. Mr. Gates told the Lowy Institute think tank in Sydney on Monday that political leaders needed to set aside their differences and work together to prepare for the next virus, because this is just this is just what it is now. Look at that rotten, pale-faced freak! Look at that rotten. Look at that. He looks like a, he looks like a clam that's been taken out of his shell and slowly rotting, just like his oyster friend from Davos. He called for greater global cooperation during the COVID-19 pandemic as an example of how countries could improve on their response if they just work together and get rid of all those meddling civilians that want to keep their individual rights. That's what it's all about. Let's just put our differences aside after the past three years of us of us completely abusing you and dehumanizing you. Compare the economic cost of being prepared for the next one to the cost of this one. Over 10 trillion economic loss, he said. Wow, that must have been a real, we did that. You know, there are people out there that said, we did that, that was us. $10 trillion we took off the ledger. And most of that went into companies and went into places and assets that they control the trillions that we printed just in public that they created the impetus to to print right in front of us and dole out just in in front of us in plain day they just made the reasoning and everyone's like okay okay you said okay you'll send us six hundred dollars though you can yeah you can print a eight trillion dollars but you're going to send us six hundred a month right that'll help me get by we are we're completely beaten they beat us like dogs some of these things that stand out are the are uh are that australia and about seven other countries did population scale diagnostics early on and had quarantine policies that meant that you kept the level of infection low that first year when there were no vaccines so he's he's out there laying the groundwork he's been there from the start of everything uh, and then, of course, we have The View. Whoopi Goldberg is trying to do that thing again, thinking. She's trying to think again. It's very interesting. Very interesting. Like trying. I don't even know. I don't even know what it is. 
But listen to this. She's trying to get Joe Biden out of a jam by making things up on the air. And uh, every every poor, unfortunate woman that tunes into this every morning and actually thinks it's a legitimate broadcast, they're the ones that really get harmed. Listen to this. Just the first couple of seconds. Presidents and vice presidents can declassify these. No. Not with their brains. There is, you have to go, there is something that you go through. Yeah, you write it out. Before it's declassified. But uh, this order came, it was expanded right after that uh, George Bush put it into place. Because George Bush made it so presidents could declassify. Obama stretched it to make it uh, vice presidents. No. Well, I mean, just simply no. But, um... I believe just just go back. I wish she would just go back to talk about the the Holocaust. If she can just go back to talking about the Holocaust, everything will be semi-normal, whatever normal is now. So I um, now I, I I I wish people would would just say this. I mean, they, they can't say it because it's too easy to to verify. I mean, I'm saying you would think that this would be out there. She says, I wish people would say this. Listen. So, given I wish they would say all that while they're explaining what's... There's nothing to say. It's not real. If it was real, they would be they would be able to hang their hat on that, and then they can go reverse engineer some kind of vice presidential declassification order that he gave. They'll put all the stamps on it from 2009 and whatever the hell else. And they'll make it look real legit, and they'll 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 pamper Joe Biden a little bit. But even if there was that authority, which does not exist, she's say a prayer for her. Say a prayer for her. Um, even if there was that authority, there was no authority for Joe Biden to take souvenirs home as a as a senator. Okay, during any span, any time in the forty years or so that he was a senator. So, did George Bush expand declassify authority to to senators as well? I, I don't. I don't. So, I, this is just what the most brain dead women on the planet watch every day, and it's just so sad. So sad that it continues. It really is. Um, tomorrow, a little bit of a little bit of a preview. Tomorrow, I have a short show as well because we have the third, the third out of four. Next week is going to be the last week for book club with C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce. We are almost done with the book. Four weeks in and out. Wonderful journey. I can't wait. But it's going to be a short show tomorrow. So the earlier goings, I'm going to have Timothy Gordon stop by because this happened yesterday. And we're going to go through this thread. Popehead on Twitter, a great account that I, I, I like following, brought this to a lot of people's attention yesterday on Twitter. Yesterday, an absolute bombshell was released, something completely unprecedented in the history of the Catholic Church. No English-speaking news outlets have discussed it, and I believe we are witnessing mass media censorship. Benedict XVI published a posthumous book. So there's a book that he had ready to go to be released upon the time of his death. And it's um, it's pretty incredible from what we have over here that's been translated. So I want to talk about a little bit of that tomorrow. There's other things that I can I can pair up with that as well, and we'll see where it all goes. Like I said, short show, we'll do our thing. And then on Thursday, we've got a full two hours with Jay Dyer. And uh, Friday night, I don't know. But Saturday night. Saturday night with Andrew Bashago, we are traveling through time again. 
ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm sure that tomorrow night, the Wednesday night after the show, we will have the broadcast, the first broadcast with Andrew Bashago playing for Rabbit Hole Wednesday. We will play it again in the lead up to the weekend, so you guys are all caught up. If you forgot what happened or if you hadn't seen it before, that will be wonderful. That will be wonderful. Yes, it will. All right, let's get this show started. We got Jay Myers coming on with us in about 10 minutes, so I want to set the stage properly. Be right back. stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Welcome to the show, everybody. This is quite frankly, the pre-show is over. We're about to get kicked off now in grand fashion, and I'm happy to have you here with me. We'll be joined by Jay Myers of Jay Myers Documentaries in just a few minutes. Um, just real quick, real quick about last night's. Uh, I, I saw that the when I when I got home, obviously Tim Pool and and Stephen Crowder were at it. And I think at the the peak, there was close to 200,000 people watching. A lot of drama. Most of those people probably supporting um, Crowder because he's, he's got an audience like four times larger than Tim. Just incredible amount of power. Which, again, just reminds me of the real crux of the story there. All of my thoughts are completely unchanged on the, the Crowder Daily Wire thing from Friday night's opening. So if you want to go see that, it's in Friday night's episode. Uh, that's the opening there. It, it really comes down to just, I, I don't know, it's completely in, inconsequential to me and anybody else like me and anybody in any audience out there to as to what happens between major talents, free agent talents, who could just as easily go and stay independent their entire time uh, and, and live very fruitful lives like Steven Crowder and big time networks like the Daily Wire. Completely inconsequential. Nothing about this fight and who may be right and what would what what could be better practices by a uh, a uh, an organization like Daily Wire to help protect a person from any kind of censorship and and not putting all it, it, 
it, it has no consequence to people like us. It doesn't help the little person because what? The Daily Wire is the only, is the only way that people are going to get seen is even the best way for people to get seen. So it's really just like watching majorly rich people fight with each other for no reason because the ultimate factor was risk mitigation of what happens when you are a company like Daily Wire that still has to be able to launch people through third-party programs that have their own vague policies that they have no they have no risk they have no uh, sway over so who knows? Maybe they work things out. Maybe they don't. Either way, the Daily Wire is going to be fine. Steven Crowder is going to be fine. And the rest of us are just going to have to keep fighting for our dinner like we usually do. We all still have to play by the same rules at Twitter, uh, at at YouTube, every anywhere. I've actually been censored more on, on Truth Social than I have on Twitter. We want to go and take that to the bank. So... Anyway, like I said, this will be in the distant past before you know it, and uh, who would have won? Everybody. Because it, it makes no difference about us and, and how, and the uh, the stuff that's available to us and our ability to go out and create content on our own. We're all playing by the same rules until, I don't know, the whole thing just gets wiped clean. So, I was on Variety last week. It was last Sunday or something. By Monday morning, we all saw it. Here it was. Uh, the lesson of Babylon. Every great filmmaker, I never watched Babylon, but every great filmmaker has to fall on their face once and learn from it. And inside of this article, they listed Stanley Kubrick and Eyes Wide Shut, which I just think is is just incredible for a number of reasons. But... As far as mishaps go, nothing about this movie was a mishap. Every shot, we all know it. First of all, the cinematography alone, every shot I love, so cozy. Some of the coziest settings there can be can be found in this movie, actually. And the Sonata Sonata Jazz Club, which I'm I'm showing a couple of things here. The Sonata Jazz Club, where Bill reunites with Nick Nightingale and learns about the password-protected party that he's going to be at later on that night, this this aesthetic is largely what I wanted to capture in our broadcast studio. This is largely the inspiration for how I wanted the broadcast environment to be like in here. But, um, you know, there's other things about the movie. The whole concept of the rainbow. Always walking this thin line between our reality and the rainbow land. The surface level, shallow consciousness type of rat race that we are all largely thrust inside. And it's all what goes on beyond the rainbow is where the two uh, MK Ultra hookers in the beginning want to take Bill off to. We're going to take you where the rainbow ends, is what they said. Probably initiation. Probably to be brought to some kind of a back room and filmed doing something incredibly uh, nasty. And, and there you go. But the concept of the rainbow is everywhere. There are, they're just, I mean, there's lights, rainbow Multicolored lights everywhere. There's your Star of Ishtar. There's a lot going on, a lot going on. And that's where we talk about where the rainbow ends, the party in particular. No Christmas lights, cloaks, masks, ancient ritual and customs where every transaction that is made is with a person's life force. Sex magic, especially, especially, but death paying for life and vice versa. 
that's just where it all is. Now, there's also another aspect of the of the the visual of the movie that comes in a lot there too, and it's the pale blue light that saturates a number of scenes. You know, like you know that it's nighttime based on how the movie is progressing, but so it's not the sun, but it's just too unnaturally blue to be the moon. So I've always taken that as like this uh, this this example of how you're constantly dancing on the precipice of the dream world. It it just takes that on with me, especially with Nicole Kidman, whose character is clearly MK Ultra, sex kitten programming, and uh, that is pretty apropos for her in real life. So I um I wanted to bring all this up because that's just the visual aspect of it. You can have a visually stunning movie that it goes nowhere with the narrative. And there's a lot more to bring up in that respect. A lot more. Now, Jay Myers is just a guy I wanted to talk to tonight. He is on BitChute. He got all of his work up there, and he has posted recently, as recent as December 16th, who is Marina Abramovic. Here is his bit shoot. He also has a rumble that I'm subscribed to now, too. But Jay Myers, he's a very tough guy to find ever since he was taken off of YouTube. We got to talk to him about that. But he's done a lot of great work here. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell update. Secret symbolism at the mall. The secret of the Shining film. Behind the magic secrets of Disney, Wo- Disney World revealed. Uh, was Whitney Houston sacrificed by the Illuminati? American death cults. Disney Mind Control, Marilyn Monroe's Book of Secrets, MKUltra Exposed, the Total Mind Control. I mean, there's so many. I love this, especially the, the multiple takes he's had on the, on the Shining. Weird Ways of the Elite, that's definitely something that goes on there. The Royals, Jimmy Savile, the Vatican Archives, the Secrets of the Wizard of Oz. Just a great, great archive, and I'll make sure that we get more of them more of these videos um, uploaded and in the regular rotation on quite frankly TV in the after hours, especially on Rabbit Hole Wednesdays. But Jay Myers is a researcher. He's a documentary filmmaker. He's the creator of numerous documentaries centered around conspiracies, alternative history, and symbolism. His YouTube channel garnered millions of views before being censored by YouTube in 2020. His work can now be found on BitChute and Rumble, like I just said. Jay, are you there? Jay? I see you connected audio now. Hold on, he's with us. Hello, Jay. Hello. Oh, man, it's good to hear your voice again. How's everything been? It's been good. Good. All things considered, everything's going all right. So you found you uh, in 2021, what happened? The entire the entire channel got zapped or or what happened there? Yes, I got an email from YouTube in April of 2021 saying that the entire channel had been deleted, citing um, bullying and harassment. Oh. And they did not specify who I allegedly bullied and harassed or which video violated their ambiguous terms of service. They just took the entire channel down. Yeah. And, And I appealed, trying to get them to tell me who it was. Because, I mean, I think if you make a decision like that and you say that I did something like that, you should be able to tell me who and which video. 
You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And so, um, but they never, they never got back with anything. They just, just um, automatic email, your request is denied. Oh uh, yeah, and and that usually comes like within minutes because of course I I don't even think that they have anybody, uh, flesh and blood that are reviewing all those things. I think it is all automated, and it makes absolutely no sense. And it's really just about purging people like you off. I don't know who the hell you could have been bullying. Who the royals? Were you bullying the royals? Right. I, it, just, it makes no sense. But but here we are tonight, and we're going to make sure that you drive home the best ways for people to follow you by the end of this. And I want to know what you have coming up for 2023. But for the topic at hand, this variety, this variety piece, the the actual the actual quote here, and this is from the headline. This is from uh, who who wrote this? Uh, Owen Gleiberman. The lesson of Babylon, every great filmmaker has to fall on their face once and learn from it. He says, I'm thinking of David Lynch and Wild at Heart, Steven Soderbergh and Kafka, Michelangelo Antoniani and Zabriskie Point, Baz Luhrmann in Australia, or even, dare I say, Stanley Kubrick and Eyes Wide Shut. We can debate that one another time, but after numerous viewings, I still don't think it gels. Jay... He doesn't go into why he thinks a story doesn't gel, but what do you think about that brief review? Yeah, I mean, and um, like you said, I read that. I read that. I actually read the article, and he makes no mention of what he thinks about um, Eyes Wide Shut or why he said it "quote unquote" didn't gel. He just he just doesn't talk about that. But really, um, Eyes Wide Shut. It is a masterpiece, and it is exactly what it's not exactly what Kubrick wanted it to be because it was edited, and we'll get into that in just a few minutes. But it's a good film, and the other film you mentioned, Wild at Heart. I mean, that won the prize at Cannes, and <laughs> that that was one of Cooper uh, Lynch's um, highest-grossing films. So he's wrong on two accounts there, and um, I really just think it is the mainstream media trying to poo-poo this film because. So much has been revealed now, and so much of the curtain has been pulled back that mainstream America are, are getting it. They're actually getting what Kubrick was trying to depict, even yeah. with the minutes cut out. Yes. And so that's why they have to say, well, they have to say, oh, no, I mean, come on, don't watch that, you know, because if they took it off streaming and they took it, um, they basically put it in a vault, then everybody would want to see it. It would be the Streisand effect. So the only strategy really is to say, you know, it was a misfire. It, it really wasn't. It, it's not his best film. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the thing that, get, that gets me with this, and I'm sure we're going to expand on it big time, but when it comes to misfire, there's there's a few things that, that set this aside, especially that ridiculous comment. Uh, I mean, it's part of the headline that, uh, that, that directors need to fall on their face and learn from it. Well... Number one, yes, when it comes to personal taste, there's there's no need to even argue. If if you if it's just not something that you're into, a subject you like, the or apparent lack of action, that's something else. And I say apparent lack of action, uh, Jay, because as you know, the main theme of this film is that about how there's a whole other world that exists occupying the same space as us that we do not see. And once you start watching the film from that standpoint, the action is actually everywhere, no matter how subtle it is. But what sets the film apart other than that is that there is nothing about this film um, that was a teachable moment for Kubrick. 
this very well could have been the thing that actually got him killed, some people believe. Absolutely. A lot of people believe it could have been the movie that got him killed, uh, particularly the 24 minutes that was cut out. Um, I want to touch, that was interesting that you said um, how he shows a whole other world that's behind the scenes, so to speak, that we don't get to see. And that's interesting because in a way he's showing us the true strata of society and how there is a level beyond what we think is the top. Because if you take Bill Hartford's character, Bill Hartford, the character that's played by Tom Cruise, he's an affluent doctor. He works for the wealthy. That apartment that they have must cost a million dollars. Um, and he would be somebody that would probably gone to law school, I mean, gone to medical school. He thinks that he's at the top of, of the social strata with his wealth and his connections and things like that. And then he, he encounters another level above him, one that he does not have access to and, in fact, can't access without going through a certain initiatory process. And really, that is sort of one of the many themes in this movie, is this, this hidden world beyond what we think of as the top. Yeah, and, and yeah, go, go ahead. And absolutely, it could have, it could have been the the film that got Kubrick killed. And we'll go into a little bit more why that is. But basically, um, just depicting the world of sex trafficking. You know, we see the 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 man that um, at the costume shop that's pimping out his daughter, and he there are those Japanese businessmen there, and he goes in and acts like he's you know he's busted them and he's all upset and everything, and then they work out an arrangement. And that's very similar to what we see with Epstein and his island and how the blackmailing of, in his case, much more powerful, rich and prominent people. I'm glad that you brought that up because there is this level of um, uh, of I, I, I don't I'm mean, obviously perversion is a part of it, but there's so much more there. There's an over overdeveloped sense of sexuality in everything. Everybody seems to be chasing that pink elephant of satisfaction that they cannot get. Um, and it's, it leads everybody to a lot of different places. The prostitute that Bill goes and, uh, and visits, but you know, nothing actually ever happens. Then he learns that she's actually terminally ill. And, and then, as you said, at the, at the costume shop, what, what, what turned out to be, you know, you say here is a man transacting, uh, on, well, you know, for, with his daughter. But before that, if you, you look at the, how the daughter is, is so, um, almost like programmed herself there's something going on here that the youth has been infected, and they're and they're seeking out all these very unhealthy, uh, the unhealthy situations to be in. And as you said in in the past, you know what gels for me, what gels for me is being able to see a movie like this and that social strata that you that you pro, you project something that goes well beyond the wealthiest of the wealthy in the in New York City or something like that who's living in these million dollar, uh, you know, penthouse apartments but the vatican the uh, the royal family jimmy saville epstein the franklin scandal making its way all the way up to the white house bohemian grove not to mention every halftime show every tunnel opening ceremony every strangely profane art gala in new york city and it isn't the whole point uh, i mean it 
it isn't the whole point, Jay, of Eyes Wide Shut as a title. That's what it is, that this is happening all around us, but we're largely unable to see it. And when we do see something, those very rare times that we do see something as a society, we are unable to connect the dots. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And what I think what Kubrick was trying to do there was lift back the curtain and show us this this hidden world that, as you say, exists around us every day. We encounter it. We have little little touches of it. You know, like you said, um, things at the Super Bowl halftime and things you may see at an art gala, um, things like that art gallery, things that, you know, um, the elite, we see them participating in. But that is sort of like, like looking through the through the keyhole into this forbidden world that exists above the strata of what we think of as the top, the wealthy, the politicians. I mean, just look at how in the movie one of the models is killed because she gives herself for Tom Cruise, and then we see that. They said it was a drug overdose. Yeah. And how many times does that happen in real life with celebrities? It, it, it's such, and it's a suspicious drug overdose, you know, or all of a sudden they're found in a strange suicide, you know, like Anthony Bourdain or something like that. And yet we, we, a lot of people look at these people as someone that have reached the pinnacle of their career. They're celebrated. They're invited to all the top parties and everything like that. But there is a level above them that can have them killed if they speak out. You brought up the the girl at the party who who pretty much gave herself up for Bill because, as we all know, Bill was the one that saved her life in the opening when she was having a drug overdose at Ziegler's party. Right. And 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 for him to be sitting there in that cafe, you know, he, it's the night it's the the night after the party. He knows he's being tailed. Uh, it, it's a very, very weird, weird uh, point uh, point in the film where he knows he's being tailed by some of the people at the party who know him. He doesn't know who they are because he's the only one that had to take off the mask. And he's sitting now in a coffee house with a, a paper that he picked up. And in the middle of it, it talks about a dead beauty queen, of course, being that girl at the party. The thing that gets me is here he is in a very unique situation reading this newspaper. And it is maybe a four inch, a four inch blurb inside of a paper that hundreds of thousands of people inside of that city, you have to imagine, have read and just went right by it and said, oh, what a tragedy. And it makes you think about all of those, oh, what a tragedies, was really the linchpin to something so much bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly, I think, what Kubrick was trying to show us. And um, <clears throat> how often does that happen? Like you said, that people just say, oh, you know, what a terrible tragedy, when really they probably stepped out of line in some way and it was made to look. And sometimes it happens from monetary reasons. Sometimes they're just worth more dead, and that's the sad fact about it. But another interesting thing about that newspaper that you brought up, the other articles on the page are real articles from from magazines about, um, I think they were both about murders, but those were actual articles actually took place. And that um, blending of fiction and reality is something that we see throughout the film because they filmed it at a real Rothschild mansion, the sex scenes, the, the party scenes. 
Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman were husband and wife at the time of the filming. So that's super weird. I mean, think about that. Just those weird sex scenes and the jealousy aspects and all of it. And, but they're real, but they're a real couple the whole time that they're filming this. Mm -hmm. And then, um, that sort of blending of fiction and reality to me says he's giving us a hint that this is not as fictional as a lot of people are taking it. Uh, especially the, uh, do you, could you go into any, any, to any depth of, uh, Nicole Kidman's past? Her father was, uh, was a big in occult circles. No. Yes. Her father, Anthony Kidman, shortly before his death in Indonesia, I believe was accused by a woman named Fiona Barnett in Australia. They're from Australia. Um, he was accused of raping her. Um, I believe as a child or something like that. And if you look into the whole, into where Nicole Kidman comes from, it's really, it certainly seems like they're from sort of a, a really dark sort of strange, wealthy family there in Australia. They own quite a bit of property in Australia. And it is also reported that she told Kubrick that the world, Kubrick told her, she said that the world is run by pedophiles. She said um, when she was promoting one of HBO shows, he studied secret societies his whole life. He was fascinated by them. And he said the elite, the top secret societies, they are full of men with a certain predilection. They are tied together, sort of bonded by pedophilia. They all know each other's dark secrets and there's no way out for any of them. It's a lifetime bond. So if she really said that, wow, because she's somebody that would have also been exposed to this world, this upper strata that we're talking about. Well, if she did say that, uh, it's 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 definitely not on tape, because uh, because that would be that would be a yeah. a major a major uh, sticking point for anybody that that takes deep deep dives into this i mean it's not something that you need her on tape saying to be able to legitimize what we have seen time and time again as being a uh, a major driver in geopolitics as far as when it comes to blackmail and influence peddling and keeping people in i mean this is I mean, that that uh that right there pretty much uh explains the the most of the career of someone like denny hastert speaker of the house under bill clinton that, that guy yeah. that guy was kept in orbit because he was a known pedophile and they used that to keep him uh to keep him compliant yeah well that's an exact example of what she's talking about they all know each other's secrets then there's no way out for any of them and i think that that's true of a lot of people who are powerful i've looked for that clip i can't find it but it's very possible that it did that she did say that because so much things get scrubbed from the internet nowadays but yeah if if that if you had that or her on clip saying that, that would be just explosive. Oh, absolutely. But yeah. Well, um, that if, would be crazy. If there, okay, go ahead. If you had some blare else you want to go. Um, well, I mean, just go in a little bit more about, let's just talk about how it was a real Rothschild mansion that they filmed that in. Um, it's actually a Chateau de Ferrier in France. They filmed the. Illuminati ball scenes there with the naked dancing and the sex and the um, Hartford's character being sort of intimidated and made to take his mask off. They filmed that there. Um, it's the same place where Polanski filmed the movie The Ninth Gate 
If anyone hasn't seen that, I recommend it. It's a really good, it's, it has the conspiracy angle to it. And it's all about Satanism. There's a satanic ritual in it. It's got Johnny Depp in it. And of course, Polanski, you're basically getting it from a firsthand source right there. Yeah. So I would, I would recommend people see that. But that he also filmed that at the Chateau de Ferrier, which was built for the Rothschilds, one of the Rothschilds. And in 1972, the Rothschilds hosted at that very same mansion a very creepy par- party. It was a surrealist ball. It was themed after Salvador Dali. Salvador Dali was an attendee there. They all wore masks that look identical to the ones in Eyes Wide Shut or almost identical. These were a little more ornate. Um, they were greeted by the door at the door by people in cat masks who sort of led them into this other room where Helena de Rothschild was wearing this super ornate deer mask with the antlers and it had d- real diamonds forming a tear under each eye. And which is very similar to animal masks that have been used in occult rituals for centuries, especially horned masks. They had uh, a body, they had mannequins there laid out on the table. The whole thing was very cannibalistic theme. They had nude mannequins laid out on the table with people standing around it like they were getting ready to eat. Uh, The tables were strewn with broken baby doll heads, baby doll body parts, things like that. And the menu itself was really creepy. It was written in French, but the um, menu titles were like Sirloin, spelled out like a person's name, like Sirloin. Um, One was a wonderful pile of corpses. Things like that. Oh, we know that the invite. I had it right here. This I forgot about. Yeah, the invitation. Yeah, it was written in reverse, so you have to walk. You have to read it with a mirror. That's it. Yeah. Incredible. I'm I'm going through the pictures over here as you're talking. Do you have the picture there? Uh, A bunch, a bunch of them. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it was written in reverse. You had to hold it up to a mirror, which is like Aleister Crowley's edict to do everything backwards. Now, you know, uh, if there's anything about this film, Jay, and we've talked about this, I think, once before, I, but you, you've come on to do so many different topics. Um, if there's anything that is unsatisfying to me after all these years is the fact that we know that there's 24 minutes of this that's going to be missing and we probably will never see any portion of it ever again. What can you talk about what is supposedly the, the the missing pieces that could add a little bit more clarity to what the overall narrative and plot of the story um, of the story is? Yeah, so this is really interesting. Um, when Kubrick showed um, his cut, it actually wasn't a final cut yet, um, but it had taken so long. This movie had been in preparation for so long. Um, he showed this is what he had to show to a screening of it to Warner Brothers executives. And he showed it to Warner Brothers executives. Apparently, Kubrick was chain smoking out in the lobby. He hadn't been doing that for years. He was very sort of pale and stoic. They called him in, and the person that was with him, this is coming from a third-hand source, but the person that was with him said he heard screaming, he heard arguing, and um, Kubrick just came out and kind of didn't say anything. After that, that was the last time they saw Kubrick. He was dead. And that's really interesting because it kind of brings us back to what the critics said at the beginning, that it didn't quite gel. 
That's actually not an unusual criticism among especially film critics. There's um, the film kind of, it seems like Hartford's story arc doesn't kind of go anywhere. Um, there's a little bit of continuity issues, stuff that Kubrick would have would have panned out in the final edit of the film. And it looks like more of a hatchet job than an editing job was done on that movie. There seems to be a lot of it that was taken out. Um, but this movie, Kubrick said it, he felt like it was his best film. So there certainly wasn't a mistake. It certainly wasn't a misfire. Um, this movie holds the record, Eyes Wide Shut holds the record for the longest continuous movie shoot. Over 400 days they shot this. Um, just getting, just uh, Kubrick would, would take notorious, he was notorious for taking so many shots. I mean, just something as simple as Tom Cruise walking down a flight of steps, they may do 100 shots of that. Hmm. And part of that was actually a little bit of psychological manipulation on Kubrick's part of his actors because he tried to get them into a certain state of mind during the shooting. Um, if you look at the, the Illuminati ball where they're dancing naked, the models rehearsed that for days. They rehearsed that for months, every day, just like a regular dance. They would warm up, they would do that. They, would, they were doing that every day because Kubrick wanted things to be perfect. He was a notorious perfectionist. So when people say, oh, this was an accident or something like that, I guarantee you it wasn't because he was meticulous about what was on his, his movie and what was on the finest finished product. But because it took so long and you've got Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, two of the biggest stars working right at that time, you've tied them up for 400 days. They had to do something with this movie. They couldn't can it. And so they cut 24 minutes from that movie. Now, what we, what they cut, we don't know. Um, unless you've seen it, you don't know. There's speculation, though, as to what might have been in the 24 minutes. Um, some say it was the unmasking of the people that were at the party who may have resembled real-life people. Um, some say it was pedophile, pedophile orgies and child sacrifice. It shows that aspect of the elite. Um, and some say, and this is really interesting, because we see at the end of the movie, Bill finds the mask on his wife's bed. Yeah. But they think it could have been the daughter's bed, which would have much darker implications and might be more controversial. The, the, the one thing that, that we, that a lot of people say from the last, that last scene in the toy store, obviously there's all types of things there, the magic circle game that, that's all in frame and things. And then uh, toward the end, as the, the daughter is actually going off down an, an aisle, they say that the, there are two men in long black peacoats that almost like lead her away in some kind of a way that it was again a, a little bit of a tip of the cap to how all of this, this, um, this especially for the women, this sex programming, this mind control, neuro-linguistic programming that, that goes on to keep them in this, this, um, this state of being is very generational and it is passed down and it's cyclical trauma in many ways, that kind of control. So I never had, I had never heard that about the, uh, the, the, the daughter's room at the end, but yeah, there, there is, 
if you talk about 24 minutes, anything near that, that could be clipped away from a movie, anybody who's ever put a movie together, I know that for you to put together a 20-minute mini-documentary on anything, I know what goes into making every minute of a, of a film. You're talking about a couple of hours to make a coherent minute. So for this to be 24 minutes gone, it is a very, very highly impactful um very highly impactful cut from oh, a movie. Oh, it could have been a completely different movie. It could have changed the movie entirely. Totally. So that's that's why the, this is the the whole the whole uh understanding when you bring uh, that you have to bring in with you when you when you watch this film and understanding what where you're coming from and what it could have been and then it just makes the speculation that much the the slight incoherence in the narrative uh is is totally understandable from that perspective. I think it would have been a lot more coherent had Kubrick been allowed to actually edit it the edit it the way he wanted. I think it's possible that the wife was actually part of this cult yeah. before, and so she kind of already knew, but her husband had not been initiated into this, so he did, he wasn't aware, and that would make sense with the intergenerational cyclical aspect of it all. And if Nicole Kidman, it will show she's from this sort of um, elite, if you will, satanic family in Australia, that would make a lot of sense as to why he cast her in the role as well. Because she seems like, you know, just this actress, but actually, if you look into her, her family has this dark connections and she probably has been exposed to a lot more than what she lets on. So that would be really interesting. And I, I do believe if you go back and watch that last scene, go back and watch as the little girl sort of walks down the aisle, both parents kind of pat her on the back and on the head as if kind of to say goodbye a little bit. And then she walks around the corner following these two old, older men. And then as they exit the shop, they don't have the daughter with her and they don't seem concerned about it. And then they just, or at least they don't say they are. Yeah. Right. And then the, then the the abrupt ending right there. It just ends. Yeah, it, it just ends. And uh, which I guess abrupt endings usually just mean uh, the beat goes on, and uh, probably no significant changes were made to that world. It just continues on. Now uh, you had sent me over a oh. short clip from your your documentary on this. Uh, I, I wanted to touch on one more thing about the store, though. Okay, please, please go yeah, ahead. If you, as you're, when you're in this toy store, as they turn the corner and the daughter goes off down the aisle towards the men, the stuffed cats that are there is the same stuffed cat that was on the bed of the prostitute earlier in the film. Mm. It's like a tiger. So that's definitely not an accident either. The same, the same stuffed animal also on the bed of the prostitute i'm seeing and it. the prostitute in her in the room if you notice the wall is covered with masks like african tribal masks and stuff like that which masks of course play a theme in the movie not only do they put on masks when they go to these balls but these people are wearing if you will metaphorical masks as they deal with different sections of society well, that's the whole thing, right? Uh, it, the whole thing is a metaphor. As I said, there's metaphorical masks. There is the, and then there is just the big, 
the big, I think, flamethrower of a message that comes out to the audience that's willing to see it, that we are we are uh, a masked up society at large and that there is a whole other world not that you can discover by by being invited to a certain place at a certain time and having the right password but there's a whole other world another existence that is occupying the same space that we are in when we go out to get a coffee in the morning or to go out and grab the paper. There's a whole other world that is coexisting here that you, you, you almost need a certain kind of decoder ring to be able to observe and to be able to piece it all together or else it just seems a little bit of kaleido, it seems a little kaleidoscopic and, and, and nonlinear. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's tremendous in that, in that aspect. Yeah, I think Kubrick's kind of trying to give us the decoder ring or like the glasses um, in the movie They Live, you know, that kind of show you what the under the, the under element of society, the part of society that it's in our face, but we don't see it. You yeah. know what I mean? And that goes back to symbolism, right? I mean, that's what symbolism is all about. Symbolism is a language that unless you understand it, you don't know what they're talking about. You don't know what they're showing you. Just like when people watch, like you said earlier, the Super Bowl halftime show or, you know, some of these other, you know, Olympics shows, um, they think it's just a performance because they're not, they're the uninitiated. They're the profane. They don't, they haven't um, learned about the secret societies and the symbolisms that they use. And so they feel like it's perfectly fine to show it in the open daylight because unless you're in the know, then you're not going to know eyes wide shut. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I think that it makes it a lot more relevant to the current year now too. And what I see more and more uh, as a coming out party across the board, obviously the year 2030, Jay, is a very important year to those who literally, and they tell us in very literal ways, meticulous ways, how they are going to transform the entire globe. And when you think about where we are right now in 2023, with a mere seven years until this finish line that they have been working toward for decades now, we're, we're, we're left in a real crazy place, a phase, I should say, of acceleration. I mean, Davos is essentially the mansion party without the masks. Here in the US, we now have at least four states uh, that allow after-school Satan Club activity, which is just a little bit more of an unmasked version of the standardized American education as it is. So I, I, I think about the accelerationism and the quickening that uh, that we are seeing now where the masks are off in so many different ways around the world. The people who usually were in the boardrooms are now taking on these alter ego public personalities to to appeal to a uh, to appeal to some kind of utopian future, which we know cannot be utopian because they don't love us enough to give us utopia. So I, I that's why I think that this movie is actually just as important as it ever was in understanding where we are now and where we're going. I think Eyes Wide Shut is more relevant now than it was when it came out. And I think, as you said, it's more important that people see this now than ever before because the veil is lifting so much and so many of the masks have come off of agendas that were conspiracy theories just just a few years ago. But if you go back even further than that, they were talking about this kind of stuff. and so. The idea that there is this other strata of society that's hidden among us 
and that we interact with is more important for people to understand that now than ever before. Because like you said, the time is close and they're tightening the grip. They're tightening the grip through the food supply, the energy supply, our access to information on the internet. They're tightening control in so many ways. Um, and so it's more important now that people get that this, there's this other level of society that we can we occasionally interact with, kind of like the matrix. We occasionally interact with it, um, but it's there. But unless you have eyes that see, you don't see it. But most of us go through our life with eyes wide shut. Very well said, Jay. Very well said. Now, um, uh, before we get into where people can find you and asking you what you have planned for 2023, because I'm, I'm sure you probably want to get back on the horse after being uh, after being offset by YouTube here. Um, is there any did you want me to play this uh, this this video that you had sent over? It's about a minute and a half. Yeah, long. Let's go ahead and play it. I think it would be interesting. OK, let's do this. Hold on one second. It's a minute 22. And this is an excerpt from your documentary on the subject now. It is. This is author Jay Widener, who's written a lot about Kubrick, and he is talking about with someone who is recounting a story from someone who was allegedly there with Kubrick at the at the theater in London where they screened it for Warner Brothers executives. Here we go. I got a call and he claimed to be Kubrick's one of Kubrick's top assistants before he died. In other words, he was there all the way to the end. Wow, that's getting good. <laughs> and he told me Kubrick uh, kept muttering to him to himself that the uh, Warner Brothers executives uh, were going to hate his film. Uh, and literally, he quoted me as saying, oh, when they see this film, they're going to kill him. Then, on the night that they, he showed them the film in London, um, strangely enough, he had taken up smoking again, which he'd been a chain smoker earlier in life, and he kind of slowed down. But apparently, you know, much to this guy's surprise, he was he was chaining again, and uh, uh, he waited in the lobby, really kind of pale and distant. And then the movie ended, and the door opened, and somebody walked out and said, "Stanley, you need you coming down here," and the door shut. And this guy said that he heard yelling for about 45 minutes screaming and yelling and he heard Kubrick say that uh, you know you can't change my film it's in my contract and then Kubrick stormed out first and he followed Stanley and uh, that was the last time we ever saw Stanley wow and that's uh, and that's true that that's one of those that's one of those holy grail kind of stipulations in a director's con a contract to have final cut and he had that for this Kubrick, this is another sort of mysterious thing. Kubrick had a unique and unusual level of control over his films, even during some of his earlier films, not his first ones, but even some of the ones before Eyes Wide Shut. He had a lot of creative control, ones that we don't see even with big movie, big money making directors today. Um, but he had final cut, and that that is extremely important because it meant by the contract they could not edit that film without his approval whatever they want whatever they wanted cut from that movie they couldn't do it without kubrick agreeing to it and six days later he was dead of a heart attack and we know that they can do they have a heart attack gun the cia came out on the house floor 
that they have a gun that can they can shoot into somebody. It melts. It leaves a tiny little hole, not even as big as an injection mark, and it will basically create what will appear to be a heart attack in the person. Mm -hmm. That came out in 1975, by the way. Yeah. Wow. So we come a long way since then. Jeez. Um, Who knows what they have now? I, you, you're telling me. Uh, e either way, Jay, I, I hope that this is the first of of many more return visits to the show this year and all the years after. I know that you've been on a little on, on a hiatus, but tell us what you have going on for 23, and and definitively let me know. I know you don't have an official website, but where is the best place that people can follow you? Because I I gotta say your stuff is uploaded everywhere by other people and thankfully they're all, thankfully they're all giving you credit though but it's never it's not all in one place so where can we find you well that's sort of what happened when youtube nuked the channel it just kind of went all over the place and i've actually heard from some people that whenever they try to upload my, one of my videos to youtube it's taken down like immediately after processing hmm. so anyway um but they can find me at bitshoot.com uh, forward slash J-A-Y-M underscore docs, D-O-C-S. Uh, I'm on Rumble, J Myers Documentaries, all one word. Uh, and I have stuff on Patreon that's not on the others. That's Patreon forward slash J-A-Y-M underscore docs, D-O-C-S. So, and I've, I've been making stuff uh, over the past two years sporadically on Patreon and other things, I'm getting more into it. I've got one right now about uh, Marina Abramovic exposing, well, showing who she is, where she comes from, um, the work that she does, and her connections to Aleister Crowley, Satanism, and the elite. Um, I'm working on another one right now about the great comedian George Carlin, sort of centered around his... Um, routine where he said it's a big club and you ain't in it mm. because he really spoke a mouthful when he said that little comedy bit and i'm going to go dissect that and kind of show um who the club is how they control education how they control the media why everything's as fucked up as it is and keep um showing people how there is this hidden hand behind society that's controlling things and i think with comedy, you can say a lot of, you can make a lot of criticisms that you couldn't make otherwise. You know, the jester was the only person that was allowed to criticize the king, you know, and if he couldn't stand the jester, he was a tyrant. So I think that's a lot of what George Carlin was doing. Carlin also died of a heart attack. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, we we lost a lot of great ones in the last in the last couple of decades alone. They were getting up there in age, but of course, as you say, the abruptness yeah. of it all is something that makes you wonder. Uh, Jay, thank you for everything tonight. I had a wonderful time, and I hope that a lot of people start showing up to any one of your your um, your accounts and follows you from there on in. I, I'll be in touch. We got to get you back, and and I'll make sure that we get you into the rotation with all of your great work on the network. Absolutely, it was a great time. Thank you so much for having me. All right, have a good one, man. You too. Take care. There goes jmyers.com. No, no, he should get something like that. Jay Myers. So here's what we're going to be doing. It's eight oh five. I'm going to go on a really quick break. I have to get off in about 15 minutes, around 8.20 I'm off because the guys, the band will be here and we have to go uh, do some rehearsals and uh, we, we have a lot of, we have six new songs 
that we want to be able to start polishing up. It's going to be great. Uh, and we also have to put together some ideas for some live stream nights, but we have to knock off the rest of the rust for now. But tonight, because I'm getting off early, because I'm getting off early, here is what we are going to do after the show. We are going to be playing Jay Meyer's documentary on Eyes Wide Shut. This is on quitefrankly.tv. So from here, no matter where you're watching it, no, no matter where you're watching it live, you go to quitefrankly.tv, powered by Foxhole, and you can just cast it to your television, sit back, relax. At uh, around 8.30 or so is when we are going to play Jay Meyer's documentary. It's about 20 minutes first. And then after that, we're, um, we're playing the movie. So it's uh, it all relates. It all relates there. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people in the chat room pointing things out, having conversations, and I invite you all to be there. So that's going to be what we have going on on QuiteFrankly.tv after this. Let's go on a really quick break. When I am back, uh, we'll go to Super Chats, and we will put a bow on this one. Thanks again to Jay Myers. BRB. Welcome to Intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Quite frankly. 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 So everybody watch, quite frankly, with Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? There's a little bit of weirdness going on. I think I think Rumble is down. Now, my broadcast software, my encoder over here is connected to Rumble and it says it's broadcasting, but I have lost any kind of visual over the chat room and everything else, then therefore, if anybody left any rumble rants, I don't know where it is. And I wonder if that's the reason why YouTube has had uh, a little bit more people watching there than usual, because there's 
a combined audience? I don't know, but Rumble right now for me is all Shungad. It's all jacked up. So I'm just going to assume that that's gone. And we'll see what the word is tomorrow. Let's start with Foxhole. Let's start with Foxhole. Richard Lyles likes it. Thank you, Richard. Sean Joe, thank you. 247 Spin loves the program tonight. Rook Castle says hookers' lives matter. Everybody's lives matter. Especially the hookers. Sean Joe, thank you. Paulie9363, blindfolded and beaten 1968 SRA. SRA, me and my two brothers. Wow, Paulie, if that's true. Did not know that about you. But that's what I feel like uh, is happening to the entire world. Blindfolded and beaten. On Rockfin, we got a tip from Ann Christ. Thank you so much, Ann. Very generous tip. Dooku Dan on, quite frankly, superchat.com. Dooku.com. Dooku Dan says, a theory posited was that Kubrick was approached early in his career and after he rescued Spartacus for Kirk Douglas. And he was a pro in his early in his career to join the, uh, the pedo network which is why he moved away to England. All of Kubrick's movies are anti-establishment. Eyes Wide Shut is his most direct expose. Stostube says, wonderful independent media. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Stostube. Dooku Dan says, regarding Gleiberman article, both Wild at Heart and Eyes Wide Shut have dream imagery, nightmare sex, mind control, and in inversion of male identity ideas, and more importantly, use the Wizard of Oz as templates and directly lift tropes and imagery from that film. Remember, we talked about how Wizard of Oz like is actually implemented, how it's used as a template when we were talking to Kathy O'Brien. And this was a little early. Oh, this is this is a few hours ago, earlier on in the day. Baby Beluga says, "Hey Frank, I'm early. Just letting you know that I'm really excited for your show tonight. See the water squirting out of my spout? No, I don't. Thank God. But if you're a baby Beluga, it's only natural. All right. So that's what we have going on there. I don't know what's going on with Rumble, but uh, we have a nice group on Theta. We have a nice group watching on DLive, as always. Foxhole is, is kicking on all cylinders, and that's good because after the show, if Rumble could be down all at once, at least we're up on our home. Our home URL. Twitch hanging out. YouTube. Thank you all. All right, it's 8.13. Let's take a call or two. 914-595-6953. We can take one or two calls. 914-595-6953. And what a call to be taken. Jim from Maine. What's going on, Jim Zell? Hey, Frank. How you how been, man? How you doing? Doing well. You know, people ask about you and Frank all the time. I said, where have the Zells been? I said, they're just living life. I, I always love getting calls from you guys, though. Yeah, life happens. You know, we had a, we had a, uh, my mom had a severe stroke. Oh man! So we've been trying to take care of business there and take care of my mom, and 
So, you know, life life happens, and, you know, that's the road you live on. So I'm, I'm very sorry. Very busy, but, but we're hanging in there. Well, your mother's going to be in my in my uh, daily and nightly prayers, and I'm very sorry to hear that you've been dealing with that. But uh, she's got two good sons, so yeah, I appreciate that. Um, very, that was a very good uh, interview. Enjoyed that uh, regarding the parallels, with eyes wide shut. Well, well, and it will obviously, yeah, obviously, you are a uh, you're a guy who can appreciate that in a very personal way. Um, what was there anything in particular that stood out to you? Anything that you that that really compelled you to call in and 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 leave some thoughts? Yeah, it's just like you know, you look at all different areas. You know, what lies just outside the veil of of what we see. You know, and what lies underneath. You know, and you look at all different you know cases throughout. You know, <laughs> going back several decades. You know, looking at the let's look at the Franklin scandal, right? Started off as a uh, savings and loan scandal, uh, but the when you peel it back, you see what really was happening underneath. Mm. You had satanic ritual, pedophilia, the abuse of children at Boys Town, and you know the trafficking of children to politicians to businessmen. All that was right underneath that savings and loan scandal to be revealed if if you looked. And another thing that was pretty interesting, you know, with Eyes Wide Shut and how that kind of reveals what is just outside our scope, um, the Ramsey case is a very good example of that. That death of that little girl, if you chose to look, revealed what was in the town itself. The town itself was supposedly this pristine town, this perfect town. But when you looked into it, it was anything but that. And what was really lying underneath the town was institutional pedophilia. It's amazing when when you looked into it that you had had pedophile rings operating at the time of her death. You had um, boy town like Franklin scandal like parties taking place within the town. You had lawyers taking place with this, you know, operating this and being involved with it. Doctors, professors. All, all you had to do was just kind of look deeper into the Ramsey case, and you would see all this stuff happening right in this town. And a little, in, you know, interesting connection to Eyes Wide Shut and John Benet Ramsey. There's no paper trail for this particular statement, but it goes as far back as I remember, about 1997, right after the case broke. The police that were on the scene, you know, one of them stated that after the party. There were people there that were kind of whisked out. One of them was an Australian actress, which was believed to be Nicole Kidman. Get out of here. That goes back as far back as I've been involved in this case. There's nothing on paper that you can find out in interview, but I've heard that as far back as 1997. That you got got to remember, people, you know, the Fleet White was a jet setter. And people came in from all over for, for parties. You know, if, if the three men poem that's involved in the John Bonet case, the person who wrote that poem was an elder at St. John's Church. And that person said in the poem, there are far bigger people involved in this than Fleet White. And Fleet White had a lot of money. But there were people way more powerful than him that was involved uh, with these parties and the abuse of children. But, yeah, supposedly Nicole Kidman, according to the earliest police on the scene, was at that party. 
can't verify that with a concrete paper trail, but that's what I've always heard. You know, it's it's some scary ass shit. It really is, and and to think that when we were really, uh, I think it was last May, was it May or June that you and Frank started really having your attention drawn to what was going out there in Utah? Yep. Well, I, I don't know if if things have become you know pretty mum like mum's the word out there and everybody's tight-lipped and you're just waiting for something else to break but knowing what we have covered so far that that covers not only this uh this trail between utah and and farther up the line in in the midwest and then of course new york which there is a location of an absolute horror house that was that's about a mile and a half from where I am right now. The fact that it went mm-hmm. all over there and then into Ukraine. I mean, to think about what on the surface. Again, going to what I was talking about with Jay Myers and uh, Eyes Wide Shut. When Bill is in the coffee house, he's still shaken up from the night before. He's obviously being followed by goons that are associated with the, the party, and now he there he is thumbing through, thumbing through a a, a paper, and he sees that. A girl, a beauty queen, has died. A uh, a couple of inches of paper that most people probably just glanced over. Maybe you know, just gave gave a little bit of a oh, what what a, what a tragedy. But never knowing, hey, w- w- what the hell it was all about. That kind of thing is what I look at when I see the Utah case in any other setting it's usually something that pops up in a headline for a little while people go oh what the hell is that all about and and then it just becomes a little bit of a local disturbance and then it goes away but it's so much more than that i mean you remember you remember uh jim every time that we would have a big hollywood mogul somebody uh that jumps from their jumps from their the ledge you're like what what the hell is this really all about you know yeah uh, what's his? Go ahead, Frank. No, no, like I, I forget that guy. Who's the producer? The Dunn? Who was it? Who was it? That... Oh, I, I, I know who you're talking about, Frank. The name escapes me though. Um, any, anyway, anytime there's any, there's there's somebody jumping off of a, a ledge that high. Um, we're always like, what the hell is this really all about? You forget about it, but you just never know. Yeah, it always makes you think, and you know. Regarding Utah, you know how how deep that really goes. You know who knows. You know it's the people that were involved and the people that were talking said. You know one of the main things had to do with human trafficking, and some of the people have have been quiet. Some people are not really talking anymore. You know it's you try to touch base with them and they just kind of shut down. And you know you just wait for a period of time and you touch base with them at a later date. Hopefully they'll start talking again. But how deep that really goes, you know, who knows? You know, I can, it's, when you start bringing the Ukraine involved, and that was mentioned very early on in that, that it had to do with the Ukraine. And I just found it fascinating that, um, that Levitt, the guy he adopted from Webb, <laughs> Levitt had a Ukraine, you uh, had, had a Ukraine thing going on, a Ukraine nonprofit, and, so did the guy he adopted his children from went to the Ukraine, and he took money from his adoption agency and would travel to the Ukraine. What are the odds of that? I know. You know who knows what was happening there? But maybe it'll start, you know, it'll start piping up again, and and people will start talking again. But for the time being, all's quiet. All's, all's quiet. quiet 
Well, yes, yes, sir. it might be quiet uh, there, but as I said with Jay, uh, the masks are off, and it, I think we are in a very public public phase of what always has been um, a, a campaign of whispers and smiles from behind a boardroom and and other little you know social initiatives. Now it is a everybody is out, everybody's in front of cameras, and everybody is is promising the world is literally going to end if we do not take mm. drastic action over the next couple of years. And as I said, too, always remember, it's 2023. 2030 felt like it was 9,000 years away. All of a sudden, we are less than two election cycles away from it all. And it, Yeah, that, that reminds me of the Pink Floyd song, Time, where it's like a day gone by and it's like 10 years. <laughs> it's just one day, just boom. Next thing you know, a decade's gone by. You know, yeah, uh, it, it's true, and it's here. It's here right before us. And you know, once again, with like you said, you know, behind the boardroom, the smiling faces, the stuff is just right out in the open now. It's just right in your face, and I'm always amazed that no matter what it is, no matter whether it's transhumanism, bank scandals, corrupt politicians, it all goes back. And the underlying theme is children. It's amazing. For whatever whatever reason, whatever their purposes, children have are, are a key component to it. So we got to figure that one out, Jim. I uh, I thank you for the oh. call. I think you're the only call I'm going to take tonight. It's uh, you, you said it well. And uh, please send my best to not only your brother but to your mother. And I, I hope I hear from you guys soon. Yeah, thanks for taking the call, Frank, and uh, enjoy your, your playing with the band tonight. Enjoy All right. It. Take care, man. Have a good one. Okay. You too, buddy. Bye. There's Jim Zell. I couldn't have asked for a, uh, a better way to end this one, a short one but a sweet one. It is 823. Get on over to quitefrankly.tv. Relax. I'm sure there will be a little bit of some some small, you know, I don't know, Abe will have something playing there to warm everybody up so everybody is in their seats by the time Jay Myers documentary begins and then you have yourself a a nice little trip into the into the unknown but most of it is known to us now all right thank you oh, wait let me make sure that I I did not miss anything in super chat land because I do not want to do that Stostube sent over a whole sleeve of cookies on quitefrankly.tv rise attire says shirt looking awesome bruh looks like the uh, the capstone got scared by Jay's logo and jumped onto your arm I know I know this is rise attire's shirt at the base of the uh, at the base of the the pyramid it says slave no more but the eye the capstone that's where all the knowledge is that's where all the knowledge is. You can say, I guess you can say, we, we don't need the top anymore. But we need to reclaim the knowledge. So be, uh, it, did, it did. It jumped right onto my forehead. That's actually kind of weird, right? Oh, God. Why did I wear this tonight? Why did I wear this tonight? There's going to be like five more comments. He, this is, you think he's controlled opposition? I think he's controlled opposition. I just... You know, it's my own choosing. It's my own dumb decision making. Never thought I would have to uh, to to be careful about the things <laughs> things I wear. I should have wore a like a, a thermal underneath this, so <laughs> so nobody saw my arm. It's not rise attire. It's me. It's my skin. Thank you, Captain Flint. Thank you, everybody. Uh, to go on over and. 
Hang out. Have yourself a wonderful evening. On me, on everybody else. Over on Rumble, you guys have been fantastic. I really hope that you guys didn't send too many Rumble rants before because after Rumble went wonky and I lost track of it all, I lost track of anything that may have been there. So I promise you I'll make it up. If something happened, email me. Uh, Jameson said, Cooper can power because he shot moon landing. If you want to know what every uh, every inch of every scene is hiding in Eyes Wide Shut, you got to talk to Sean McCann of Wake the Dead podcast. He's done hours of breaking it down. Also knows everything about occult SRA. Well, that would be awesome. I, uh, you know, to either get uh, a hold of some really exceptional video breakdowns that could go on for hours and we can put into late night programming because for something like I told you about pop-up video, my VH1 resurrection idea to do that for movies, it would be so much better to have something like that out there or do to do live viewings for because there would have to be, a, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh editions of other things that we missed. It'd be impossible to actually get to sweep all the way through. And a lot of things need a lot of context. So, hey, send that on over, Jameson. And thank you so much for the super chat. All right. All right. That's all I got for you tonight. Thank you to everybody who is watching on DLive and on Theta. Well, Theta actually just, it says that the stream ended for some reason. I don't know what the hell's going on over there. Foxhole, Twitch, Rumble, YouTube, Rockfin. Love you all. It's been it's been real. Tomorrow it'll get realer. I'll catch you on the flip side. Frankly, is film before a live studio audience, and now our super chatters, starting with Jameson, Dooku Dan, Stostube, Dooku Dan, Baby Beluga. Thank you to Ann Christ over there on Rockfin, and to all of my other friends on Foxhole. I will see you soon. Get over to QuiteFrankly.tv. Kick back and relax. Enjoy the the evening, and. Please actively talk and decode with your fellow Franklies in the chat room. You might learn something and you might teach something to somebody else. <laughs>